Hello and welcome to the Mindset Coach Podcast, the show where coaches and coaches-to-be tune in to learn how to integrate mindset coaching tools and neuroscience-based techniques into their practice and grow and scale a coaching business they love. Each week, I'll be sharing easy-to-implement tips, case studies, and business strategies that you can use right away to transform your own mindset and the mindset of those you coach. I'm your host, Lara Young, founder of the Mindset Coach Academy, author of 52 Adventures to Change Your Life, award-winning business owner, coach, and coach trainer. Tune into this podcast each Friday, free on all the podcasting apps, and click to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And remember, mindset is everything. There are so many exciting things happening here at the Mindset Coach Academy and Mindset Dimensions. So before we start this week's podcast episode, I just wanted to share a couple of those things with you. Now, first of all, we have the Sabotage to Success experience happening in the coming weeks. We start on the 17th of October. If you're listening to this and that date has passed, you can always head over and get the details from the link below and you'll be able to access the replays. We've also got something brilliant coming back. The Mindset Success School is reopening its doors with an incredible program of development and coaching really to help you to cultivate your mindset for success, to really embrace all those elements of your mindset that are going to lead you to become incredibly successful and achieve the goals that you want to achieve in your life and your business and really stop sabotaging and holding yourself back from the success that you desire. It's an incredible project and it's a great collaboration. It's a collaboration of certified mindset coaches who are all adept and very skilled in their various fields of expertise and they bring mindset coaching to the fore in this program where you will spend 12 months with us really honing and changing the way that you see yourself, the world, the way that you believe about yourself and really enabling yourself to go for it, to go for gold in whatever you want across your business and your life. So that's that's coming up. Stay tuned. Again, there's a link below this episode for that. And the final thing that I really want to share with you and I'm very excited to share with you is that our Mindset Diagnostic Tool, the Mindset Dimensions Report, has been awarded ICF accreditation. The International Coach Federation has awarded our Mindset Dimensions Practitioner Certification 38 continuing coach education credits. And so you can know that it is an incredibly reliable tool. It's a powerful diagnostic for measuring all seven dimensions of your client's mindset. And the training that goes alongside that is really recognized by the ICF. And it is really underpinning all of the things that you need to know about your clients when it comes to coaching them, to understanding what makes them tick so that you have a real handle on how to proceed in that coaching relationship and to be very effective in helping your clients to achieve the outcome that they desire. Of course, the Mindset Dimensions Practitioner Certification is included in the Mindset Coach Certification Program and it's also a standalone. So if you're interested in either of those two, please again check the link beneath this episode and you'll discover more information there for that. And so without any further ado, let's begin this week's episode. 
and welcome to this week's episode of the Mindset Coach Podcast. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by certified mindset coach and habits coach for entrepreneurs who want to build business success without tanking their health and relationships. It's Natalie Britt. Welcome, Natalie. Thanks, Laura. Lovely to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think habits are one of those things that we recognize that we have them and sometimes they work for us and sometimes not so much. So I'm guessing that it's a really interesting area of coaching to be in. It's honestly my favorite thing. I think probably because I'm I'm quite a detailed thinker and I tend to go to the minutia of things. So when I hit problems in any situation, I always tend to focus on the little things. So habits, I think habits just naturally drew me because they're the tiny things that you often don't think about, but they create massive results. It's those little things that do make a big difference. And often those habits that we have are out of conscious awareness. We're not even aware that we're doing them. Yeah, it's really true. And when I did uh, my certification at the Mindset Coaching Academy, (laughs) but one of the real like the fantastic pieces that I took from that was when we talked about strategies mm. and how like within habits, there's always, there's like a recipe within the habits mm. that keeps it going. And once you understand what the recipe is, mm. you can sort of, it's a bit like a cake, you know, if it's not, it doesn't rise properly, you change the flour and you put self-raising in or you add baking powder. It's the same with your habits. It's like something's not working, but it could be the tiniest little tweak in the recipe and you get the results you want. Absolutely. And I think partly it's about identifying what those steps are that people take, what is the trigger, what's the first step that runs the strategy or the habit, and then really looking at where we can help our clients to create change. So we're going to be talking about habits and success habits in today's podcast episode. But for now, I just wanted to ask you to share with viewers, how did you get into coaching, Natalie? It was kind of a long, a long way to get here, actually. Mm -hmm. I was a trainer, I was a corporate trainer, training leaders in organizations. And when I, I moved into a company that was involved in doing dozens of different training courses, in fact, about 112 training courses they ran. And so when I started with them, I had to learn all 112. And one of them was how to coach. So I learned about coaching through that, but I didn't become a coach until much later. And I think it was actually when I left, I started my own business and I was still doing training, but I left that when my husband and I adopted our two kids. So I took time off to be with them. And I think what ended up happening was, well, I had gone into the adoption with this whole view of like, you know, I'm going to be this kind of mom and I'm going to be amazing (laughs) and so empathic and so loving and it's going to be fantastic. And I had all these views of how I was going to help my kids because they have trauma in their background and I was completely equipped to deal with that and blah, blah, blah. And the reality of how hard it was hit me Mm -hmm. and I felt I don't know. I felt like the world's worst human <laughs> because I felt like I felt like motherhood was something that was supposed to be so natural yeah. and I had gone into it thinking I was going to be a natural and I I wasn't. And I didn't seem to exhibit the skills that I thought I was going to bring and the complete openness and understanding and empathy. I I didn't seem to have those on tap. I was more impatient, more scared, more overwhelmed. And so I got quite depressed. 
And with the work that I've been doing in my corporate work, I had been already looking at habits, but I was looking at habits in a leadership and a team environment. And I started to think maybe something about habits is related to what I'm experiencing here. But before I dealt with it, I sort of went into this, you know, everything I've ever thought and everything I've ever done is complete rubbish and I'm a rubbish human. So I think coaching, sort of having a coach to help me get through that was the start of thinking, actually, this is very cool to have somebody who's non-judgmental, who can create space, who can listen, and who sort of helps you join the dots and make sense of things. It really helped. And it helped me in my own situation, gain some power back and some possibility and starting to think, actually, a lot of what I know and a lot of what I've got as my experience is, is helpful. Yeah. But I'm sort of looking, I'm focused so much on what I'm not doing that Mm -hmm. I'm expanding that rather than looking at, well, what do you want out of life? Like, where do you want to go? And how, how do you retrofit those pieces? And so my coach helped me do that. And then I thought, actually, although I had done that training course of like how to coach, I realized coaching was a much bigger thing than I had ever understood. And so that was when I then joined the Mindset Coaching Academy and I gained my certification And what do you find? I mean, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Whether it's going into a career or whether it's going into parenthood for the first time, a lot of the time we are novices. We've never done it before. Go into a leadership role. We go into a parenting role and we are, we can be so hard on ourselves and we can really have an expectation that we should be this way or it should be like that. And I think that's where that reality kicks in and that self-acceptance as well of that identity, right, of stepping into a new identity. I'm evolving. My habits and behaviours are going to evolve. My actions and reactions are going to evolve if I go into this new role, this new environment. So I wonder when you work with your clients, what are some of the habits that you find, because we talk about them being small things, what are some of the habits that you find that, that they face, that they deal with, that are, I guess, counterintuitive to how they want to be or where they want to be in their business? I think, well, I've developed this thing called the behaviour set point with S-E-T standing for different things. So the S is state, the Mm -hmm. E is environment, and the T is time. Mm -hmm. And what I have found with my clients is the state you're in in terms of your emotions, mindset fits in there, but there's, it's a, quite a lot of stuff that fits under the heading of state. That the state you're in, if you are depleted, depressed, anxious, tired, any of those things will shape your habits differently than if you are, you know, really energized, really motivated, really excited. So mm-hmm. the way you engage in the same thing will vary in those two states. So that part is really the key piece and the counterintuitive habits are the things that people do often to comfort themselves Mm. but that ultimately kick the state really badly so like for me as an example alcohol was the big one so you know if I go back to that situation with the kids once they were in bed I would open a bottle of wine and I would potentially drink the whole thing then I'd go to sleep I'd wake up the next day I'd feel a bit groggy, a bit miserable, slightly sick, and have to get through the day. 
And so my state was altered in a negative way, mm. making it more difficult for me to do the things I needed to do as a parent. But because I was finding the parenting so difficult, mm. I felt like I needed the wine to relax. But using the wine to relax was creating part of what was making it so difficult because it was altering my state during the time when I needed to be a parent. So I think it's a long way of saying basically when people have habits that they take comfort from, but that over time mess with their state to the point where they lack energy or they sleep poorly or it messes with physiology, it messes with neurotransmitters and hormones and ultimately makes them feel less healthy, less energized and less able, mm. then that compounds the problems which causes more of the need for the thing that's comforting. So that's state and that could be, as you say, alcohol. It could be over-exercising even, <laughs> like even some of those food indulgence. It could be avoidance type behaviours, like working really late, working long hours for personal validation, et cetera, that I'm being seen at work to show up and to be here a long time and I get some benefit from that. I get a, I get a gain from it. And, you know, in Jungian psychology, we talk about the, you know, the shadow behaviours. Every behaviour that you run has a reason for it. And when we are less energized, when we're tired, I don't know about you, but as you know, I've got two children myself. When I'm tired, I'm a bit cranky sometimes. <laughs> I'm not my, you know, field of daisy self. And I think that's it, isn't it? Is helping people to recognize the impact that we can have through those habits on our emotional well-being and our, our physiological state, et cetera. So you said it was SET. So what does the E stand for? So the E is environment, and that is the people, places, and things around you. And it does, it's, it has sort of two parts. The first is to recognize that we don't exist in a vacuum. Mm. So a lot of who we see ourselves as being is environmentally led. Like mm. if, if we lift ourselves up and out of our context and put ourselves in an African jungle, suddenly we become completely different people. We have completely different values. We care about completely different things. And that's because we would have grown up in a different environment with different people and different stimulus. So part of environment is just recognizing the effect of the things that seem so important, mm. but how much of it has come from just everything around you. Mm. The other side of that is when you are looking to change habits, it's so much easier if you use your environment to help you. So, you know, if, and a lot of people know this instinctively in, in small ways of things like, you know, if you decide you go on a diet, it's a lot easier to do if a cupboard isn't full of trash. Do you get that stuff out of the house? And it just introduces a layer of, we'll call it friction. So the minute there's an element of friction, so it's slightly more difficult for you to yeah. do something, then the likelihood of you doing it without thinking, which is part of what habit is all about, you're not consciously thinking about it all the time, the likelihood of that being able to happen is decreased because your environment doesn't support it. By the same token, when you are trying to embed a new habit, getting your environment to support it, so doing things that shape the things and the people and the resources you have available to make it easier to reduce friction is part of the, the process of habit change. Yeah. And then the T, the T is time. And that one's, I guess, a little bit more complicated because it sort of has two elements. It relates to a little bit about like the habits 
those kind of counterintuitive but comforting habits. Very often we engage in those because our minds, when we are stressed, our minds jump in time. Mm. So we're either in the future or in the past. And so the need often to escape through comforting habits, the ones that mess with your state, is often related to a kind of inability to just be present. Mm. Like often if you have the skills or the habits that allow you to bring your mind back to now, it's an easier way to reduce and eliminate the stress of whatever's going on than if your mind jumps to, oh, my God, this is never going to end. Like how many times I'm going to have to put up with this? This is ridiculous. Mm. I've had enough. I'm never going to be able to cope with this. Thank God for a glass of wine. Like that's a jump in time. But the second part of time is that every single thing we do, obviously we spend time on, whether it is sitting, drinking a glass of wine or reading a book or playing with our kids or whatever. We use time for those things. But how we use time determines how we experience state. And it also shapes who we are. So like one of the things you taught us in the course was something called the DILTS model. Mm-hmm. And that for me was really, really powerful of looking at the elements of change. So looking at environment, beliefs, identity is in there. Mm-hmm. And how you spend your time ultimately shapes who you think you are. Because our identities, although really in the end are, are really more just stories, but they're based on everything we've done. So we think who we are, you know, I am this, I am that, I, I, I'm not a morning person, I am an mm. anxious person, whatever. These are things that we, we sort of mm. give ourselves these labels as identities. But really what it is, is how we've spent our time previously. So the thing I aim to really show clients is who you are right now is a product of how you've spent your time. But the change starting today would mean you would invest time in other things. And if you allow enough time, that ultimately changes who you are. So identity can be shifted through the things you do because that changes how you think, it changes how you feel, which changes your state, which changes what you think and do, which changes your state. And so it goes on and on. Want to learn more about how you can become a certified mindset coach? Head on over to our website, www.mindsetcoachacademy.com forward slash coach certification, and you'll find all the information that you need along with a button to book a call with me to talk about how you can become the best coach you can be. And I think there's a lot of points in there around understanding as well what our values are, what's important to us in a context and and are our behaviours and who we are aligned with that. Do we live our values, not just espouse them? You know, if we say that we want to be a good parent or if we say that we, you know, value family or we value our health, then if we're engaging in habits or responses, emotional reactions to that, that don't align with that, then that again, causes that friction and that discomfort. I think the other thing as well, the important thing about the environment too that you mentioned is understanding where someone's threshold is. So by that I mean, and and we did this with the strategy work in the Mindset Coach Certification, you know, is at what point do you give up on the idea of having a biscuit or having a glass of wine? Is it when 
there's none in the house and you have to go to the shop and get it, okay? Because for some people there will be that barrier, won't there? Well, I'll have it if it's at home, but if there's an extra effort, an extra friction, as you say, that is means I have to go get in the car, go to the shop, go and get it, or order it. I don't know these days, Deliveroo, all of that. Order it in. Yeah. Am I yeah. going to do it? And then that brings in the element of time as well. So you know, and where is that gratification of the habit? Like, when is the habit satisfied, and when does it subside? So yeah. it's really interesting the whole the whole concept of those the relationship between our identity, our behaviours, our habits who we perceive ourselves as, and also who we want to be because that's part of it too, isn't it? So if someone comes to you and they recognise that they've got these habits that aren't adding up to where they want to be, that they look around them and their life's not as they want it to be, what is it that, do they have an understanding of that? Do they have an understanding before they come to you that it's those things that are not supporting them in achieving what they want to achieve or is that something you have to work with them to uncover usually so far it's been something that has to be uncovered so often people will be dissatisfied with a result they're getting Mm. but not 100 percent not clear that the result is actually nested in a whole host of things that once you start to break the nest apart it's Mm. made up of tiny little pieces all of which are contributing to what is creating this seemingly fixed problem so there's often there's often upwards of a dozen things that addressed either individually or collectively depending on the person's appetite for change and how motivated they are to deal with whatever it is that they're trying to get out of the way you can address multiple things simultaneously or for some people it's just like okay let's just deal with one like the biggest thing that's often the thing that is shaping how the person sees themselves yeah yeah. so alcohol is one I work with a lot because often there's a lot of shame associated with that and a lot of like you know I should be able to do this I'm a bad person Mm. or you know I'm weak or I have no willpower and particularly for entrepreneurs, that kind of story woven into your identity is not one that's helpful when you go into business, particularly on your way to your first 100K where like everything's a struggle. It's so hard and you're trying to learn 50 different skills. If under all of that, there's the story of I'm weak, I have no willpower, I can't keep my promises to myself, it doesn't matter what I do, I never really get it done you don't need that story in your head as an entrepreneur well and you also don't need the story either the flip side of that which is I've worked hard I deserve a glass of wine as a reward because that's the other thing isn't it I've done something that is hard painful I haven't enjoyed what is my reward and ultimately I think we live in a in a society where it's like oh, come on, treat yourself, have a bit of chocolate. And the languaging that we use around those things and the belief that it is actually a treat to go out for a glass of wine or to stay at home and have a bottle of wine or whatever it might be, you know. So there's all those things there that I think we need to look at as well, don't we, in terms of those stories. And those, again, are environmental. That's a big Mm -hmm. part of environmental cues. And it's something, yeah, I find it's, Honestly, it's, I find it soul-destroying. I really do. Because raising two kids, 
to think and make healthy choices when everywhere they look and everywhere we go, Mm. all the messaging is about, like, I feel like a bad parent if I don't give my kids a bag of Haribo in the park after school. It's the complete opposite of the habit that I would love to help them embed. And I think that whole messaging of like, I've done something hard and therefore I deserve a treat. Like there's so much to unpack there because Mm. with, with habits, part of the habit loop is that it needs to feel rewarding for it to stick. Mm. But somewhere along the line, environmentally, we got the message that we need to treat ourselves, but that's not a reward. It's an incentive and that's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. So in terms of reward for a habit, the reward is usually something psychological and it's usually something instant. It's a feeling and it happens either directly after the thing has happened, you've done the thing, or it happens during, like it's the buzz for the sake of doing the thing. Yeah. So one of the things I teach my clients is like, it's not about promising yourself the handbag or the wine or the chocolate or the whatever as a result of achieving something. It's looking for the ways to make something rewarding, to feel rewarded while you do it, to recognize like when you are doing something hard, stop and be like, damn, I'm good. I'm doing this. I'm actually doing it. And recognizing that you are there, you're present in this really hard thing and you are showing up and just like take a moment to bask in that. Yeah. That will be more powerful for the staying power, for the, for the habit to embed. That's way more powerful than going, when I finish it, I'll go do that thing that I like doing. Mm. So that's part one is reward versus incentive because they're not the same. And the second is very often, or in fact, for most of us, we've confused stress or the relaxation and the absence of stress. So with stress, there are actually three levels of it, if you like. There's the being stressed, so doing the hard thing. There's the absence of stress, and then there's rejuvenation. And most of us stop at the absence of stress. So we do the thing that allows the stress to go away temporarily, but it doesn't heal Mm. or fill the cup back up, if you like, for want of a better way to put it. So. Most of us do stressful thing, then compensate with a lack of stress by doing something that doesn't stress us out. But only when you engage in practices that rejuvenate you, that refill your energy, that reset the balances, that do things physiologically and mentally that are helpful, only then do you have enough when you go back into the stressful situation to do it again. Otherwise, what tends to happen is you just keep depleting more and more and more because you've never really refilled. And so those habits that we think of as being our treats are not rejuvenating. They're just a lack of stress. And that's not really enough of a healing practice. I think there's a bit of a misnomer, isn't there? Because we are always stressed to some degree and stress is positive as well. We have used stress, yeah. which is just the level of stress we need every day to keep momentum, to do the things that we need to do and that we want to do in our lives. And I think there's another piece here too, which is behaviour and understanding behavioural preferences because, you know, there is a difference between someone, for example, who has a high internal frame of reference who just knows they're doing a great job 
doesn't need anyone else to tell them. It's a feeling they have inside. And someone who has more of an external frame where unless they get that external recognition, unless someone says to them, you've done a good job, that's a really good, well put together report or, you know, you're doing an amazing job there as a mother, unless they have that external feedback and input, they don't know inherently that they're doing a good job. And that can be incredibly stressful for people because they're not getting what they actually need. And I think you know, during COVID and, you know, people being not being able to be with other people as much, I think a lot of people have suffered with that and not really recognised and so or been recognised and so there's been sort of almost a, a temptation to fill that external void <laughs> themselves, yeah. you know. So, oh, yeah. I deserve it. No one's here to tell me. I'm feeling a little bit you know, in need of a bit of cheerleading almost <laughs> and I'm not yeah. So how do I actually yeah. fill that cup? And it's interesting because yeah. everything, as we know, with mindset is it is about your emotions, it is about your unconscious programming, your subconscious programming, and, you know, it is really about all of these things that we're talking about, habits, identity, your values, your beliefs about yourself and the world around you. And when we start to look at the person as a whole, you know, as being that emotional being with a past, present and future, then that's really where we can come to understanding where they are, how they do what they do, and then help them create change. And it's interesting because no two people, you could have two people who come to you and say, look, hands up, I recognise, you know, what you've been saying, Natalie, about the fact that I do pop that cork on a bottle of wine or screw that top more likely these days on that bottle of wine (laughs) and they'll be doing it for completely different reasons or they'll associate it with very different factors. So that that to me is really interesting as well that people can have the same habit but run it in a completely different way. And one of the things that you do with your clients is you do a, when you're working with them, is you do a habits assessment. And so often the first part of understanding is to actually take a note of what what we are doing can you explain to us a little bit about your habits assessment process and this is one of your paid offerings where you do a habits assessment and then coach your clients just tell us a little bit more about how that works well the habits assessment is a sort of self-contained package that the person can either do and then take away with them or once stuff sort of comes out and we can lay it all out and figure out what's going on then they can have the choice to sort of look at some of those things. So what it is basically is looking at some of the areas in business and life that the person is happy with or not happy with, Uh things they feel most satisfied with and most frustrated with. Mm -hmm. And Uh I asked them a series of questions really that are helping me get a sense of what's going on underneath. Like maybe Mm -hmm. what are some of the stories here or what are some of the drivers behind the habits yeah. The second part, so when they do the assessments in two parts, the first is really about the emotions and thoughts around life and business. And the second part is their habits. So we look at things like sleep, food, whether or not they eat at their desks, alcohol, all, all sorts of different things. Mm. And those things come together to give a picture that mm. will help me understand and unpick some of the driving forces behind the often what I call them the counterbalance habits. So, you know, the pendulum swings to one side, that's your stress, but then you swing it to the other side to relax. But because of the types of habits, 
do you end up back into stress and all of that stuff we've mm-hmm. spoken about. So that gives me a picture of like what that pendulum swing looks like and what is mm-hmm. what is driving the forces. And then we have a consultation about that to get to really often, for most people, to be honest, there's usually some discomfort around self-acceptance, mm-hmm. feeling not good mm-hmm. enough, some self-judgment, and the, often the comforts that people engage in are related to just quelling that voice in your head that's constantly yabbering about how dare you relax or you did that badly. This is ridiculous. You've got at least another half an hour. You should be back at your desk or you should be doing this or you should be doing that. And you're like, please be quiet. And I'm just going to eat the chocolate. Um, So very often there's that sort of stuff underneath. And from that, basically, I would usually give some recommendations within the habits assessment, but then there's other coaching programs that the person could engage in if they really want to get deeper into dealing with some of those issues mm-hmm. brilliant and how do people find you Natalie just share where you are online and we'll put the links below the episode sure so I well I'm on my, my website is bighappylife.co.uk and then you can find me on Facebook by my name Natalie Britt and I do have a Facebook group called the Big Happy Life Habits Academy for entrepreneurs and then I'm on Instagram big underscore happy life wonderful all right awesome well it's been brilliant chatting with you today Natalie and so I'm sure our viewers will or listeners viewers listeners (laughs) will be interested in the work and if you have got any habits that you're wanting to change then please do get in touch thank you very much Thank you, Laura. It's been lovely. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of the Mindset Coach Podcast. Remember to join us next week for another episode and subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review if you've loved it. Share it with your friends. And I really look forward to learning how you're implementing the tools and techniques that you're learning here. Mindset is everything.